Uh, it's great to be together, and uh, we've moved back into the auditorium. Summer, summer's over, students will be joining us soon, apparently. <laughs> Hi, row of students in the back here. It's been a really encouraging uh, few weeks, really, with the Encounter Conference in Glasgow, for those who were there. Who, who was at the Encounter Conference? Who, who made it through? Good review there. Just really strong to be in God's presence and to you know, spend time calling on God. And also we've had a, a season of prayer and fasting in the church. And I think whenever we have a, a season like that, it really prepares our hearts for what God wants to do. And I just, the, the message I preached last Sunday morning, which if you were in the morning service, you'd have heard. If you missed it, maybe download it. Was that it was the parable of a persistent widow. And the whole point was that parable was preached at the end of a series that we'd done on prayer. And what the last message was, Jesus said, he told this parable so that we would pray and not give up. So that came as a warning at the end of a season of prayer to say, the season of prayer isn't over, let's pray and not give up. So here's the deal, as a church, as we're going forwards, prayer is our heartbeat. So it's not just, all right, we've done our prayer focus thing through the summer, uh, but actually we're going to continue on this zone. So the power hours, you couldn't say that, Pete power hour from Northern Ireland here. Uh, the power hours uh, are going to be continuing. So we're going to have, uh, if you're here in the morning, we have a one hour power hour uh, before the Gorgie morning service and before the Leith morning service. And uh, Tuesday, sorry, Thursday night, you can join the intercession team. Give us a wave, Ashley. Ashley and the team will be meeting here in this building. What time? Seven, seven. seven o'clock. Okay. And they pray right through the night till seven and then <laughs> no I'm just kidding you don't let that put you off so there'll be the intercession team will be here you can join them if you want to join me six o'clock Friday morning here uh, you're welcome to join me I'll be here praying in the cafe with whoever's there so for an hour uh, we just want to continue the the tempo of praying and also in your own lives gather together in twos and threes gather in your small groups let's raise the, the temperature in prayer when we pray God does things and we don't want to do just God to do things in our lives. We want God to do things in a city scale. So this, morning, this Friday morning when we met, we were praying for the politicians in our nation. We were praying for Syria. We were praying for the other churches in our city. We were praying for our churches. We're going to the next season. We're calling on God for big stuff, not just small things. And as we pray, God Almighty, the creator of all things, moves in our behalf. How good is that? So we want to make the most of that. So join us as we pray. Come on this journey with us. Tonight we're starting a new series. And uh, the new series is entitled Thirst. Uh, We're going to be going on a journey looking at the Psalms. So we've been, in the summer, we've been looking at how to pray, effective prayer. If you've missed that, go on the website. You can get free downloads. You can download the MP3s. Pick up on what, what you've missed because that's important as a foundation, how to pray. What we're going to be doing over the next few months as we come September, October, November, right up until Christmas, because at Christmas time we're going to be changing the focus to talk on Santa and that sort of thing. But in September, October, November, we want the focus to be on going not just the how-tos of prayer, but the heart behind prayer, the heartbeat in our lives as we're praying. And where better to go for that than the Psalms? The Psalms. Okay, let's pray and then we'll turn to the Bible.
God, thank you you're among us tonight. Thank you for everyone in this auditorium. God, though we're few in number tonight, I thank you that you are here. Thank you you have a plan and a purpose for us. Thank you, God, for the the campus meeting across town in Leith there. We pray bless them as well as they gather and gather around your word. God, we're praying for your presence to be among us so strongly as a people. God, we ask you, show your love, tangibly manifest your power and presence. I pray tonight that people who are far from you would come close. I pray tonight for anyone who's sick to be healed. I pray tonight, God, you would encourage us and build us up as we take time in your words, the Bible. We give this time to you, Lord. We ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you're looking for a title for tonight's message, it's Look High When You're Low. Kurt Coben was the uh, lead singer in Nirvana. Uh, and just a couple of years before we started the church here in Edinburgh in the 1990s, Kurt uh, committed suicide. It was a tragic moment. And it, it was, it's a real surprise to, to the public because he was a man who who had everything. He had fame. He had fortune. Uh, he, was, he was well known. He'd, he'd, he'd hit the top. And he ends his life. Uh, the weeks leading up to suicide, he, he wrote in his diary, and he, and he said this, and I quote, somebody, anybody, God, help. Help me, please. I want to be accepted. I'm so tired of crying and dreaming. I am so, so alone. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if you've ever felt that alone. I don't know if you've ever felt that low. I dare say some of you will have. They say some of you came to the brink of what he went through. But this is a real issue in human souls. The battle really isn't what's going on around us. It's what's going on inside of us. In tonight's message, we're going to be looking specifically at the subject of depression and a subject that affects all of us in different ways and to different degrees. We're going to be in a psalm, Psalm 42, which majors on the theme of depression. The truth is that one-fifth of adults in the UK, according to The Guardian this year, one-fifth of the adults in the UK suffer from, it to some degree or another, anxiety or depression. It is, it is, it is a global epidemic and people are experiencing it. Right in the Bible, we see many people who are the heroes of the Bible suffering with depression. And when we say depression, it doesn't mean that they've gone to the doctor and got pills. You know, t- not everyone has done that. But to what degree have you experienced depressive feelings? Probably all of us. In the Bible, we see Moses. In Numbers eleven fifteen. Moses says to God, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. Elijah in 1 Kings 19.10 said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life. Jonah in Jonah 4.8 said, It would be better for me to die than to live. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20 verse 14, Jeremiah said, Cursed be the day on which I was born. Now, Jeremiah also wrote the book of Lamentations, which is him lamenting over the hard times that he and his nation was going through. You know, if you're depressed, you don't want to read Lamentations. But he's a low guy. Uh, We see David, and David in Psalm 130, verse 1, and this is just one of many examples that you could see in David's life. He said, out of the depths, 
I cried to you, O Lord. That was a common thing for David. David's also known for joy, incidentally. And in Paul, we see in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, Paul said, we despaired even of life. So the truth is, being depressed doesn't mean you're a nobody in the sight of God. All these peoples were heroes of the faith. All these people were people who accomplished great things. All these people actually could have had an easier life if they hadn't have stepped up to the plate and sought to serve God in their generation. So if you have depressive feelings, it is no indication whatsoever that you are outside of the will of God. In some weird Christian circles, you will be told that if you are depressed in any way to any degree, that somehow or another it's a sign that you've got it wrong or God is not with you. But that's not what we see in the book of Psalms. So where do we turn when we are depressed? Psalm 42 gives us the answer. Not, not, you don't need to turn to Psalm 42, but we will just tonight. But in Psalm 42, we find the answer. It says, for the director of music, uh, Maskell, which is a contemplative poem, all right, it, with, that teaches you a truth, like a, a One Direction song. <laughs> for the sons of Korah, who were worship leaders in Israel. Verse 1. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Listen to the strength of that. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hebron, of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Now, what he's, he's writing from a place of exile. He's away from Jerusalem. He's in the northern area where the source of the Jordan River is, way up north of the Sea of Galilee. He's far away from where he wants to be, and he's longing, and he's remembering the place of worship in Jerusalem. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breaker have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Come on, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. Now, in this psalm, you see a, a kind of a roller coaster of emotion, right? It's the same in all the psalms. If you look through the book of Psalms, amazing. It's just a terrific way of engaging with God in prayer. It's good to pray them back. I was pray- just this afternoon in my own devotion, so when I was having my lunch, I was praying back, I think it was Psalm 67, to God. I, I used them in my devotions. It's a good thing to use. And what you find in the book of Psalms is every human emotion possible, They're written by guys 
from thousands of years ago, and yet, apparently, humanity hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. The issues we struggle with are very similar. The emotions they felt, we feel. The joy they felt, we experience. And it's all the word of the Lord. So it's very encouraging. And what you see in this psalm is there's a cycle. And you might see this in your own prayer life. There's actually three cycles in the psalm. The cycle goes like this. He gets down about something. He describes the situation. He's down and then he gets built up and encouraged. That happens three times in the psalm. He gets down and he gets encouraged. Now that might happen in your prayer time as well. As you're taking time with God. Has anyone had that? You come in and you're kind of praying about something and then the burden of what you're praying for gets you low. You're thinking about the things you're worried about. You're getting really low about it. And then you're praying and praying. And then, oh, you feel joy. Yeah, you had that. And then you think about something else and you get down again. Right? Oh. So this is sometimes the emotion you go through when you're praying. You're going like this and like this. And that's the journey here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take you on those three dips that we see in the psalm. Three points. And I'm going to end where the psalm begins with the thirst for God. So let's see the first of the dips. The first cycle is longing for a place of encounter. Uh, The psalmist says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? My tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever been on the brink of tears? I mean, to the point where, you know, you stub your toe and you just burst out crying. That any little thing that usually wouldn't affect you just triggers tears. Now, you probably think, well, that's more the girls than the guys, but actually the guys relate to this as well. Where whatever's going on in your soul, the pressures that you're under you could at any moment just burst into tears. And that's what this psalmist is going through. Also notice that he's not sleeping. He says that it's my, my tears have been my food day and night. He's, he's crying at night. He's, and do you know actually tiredness, physical tiredness at night can actually lead to depression? It's interesting when you look in the Bible, the Bible's view of a human being is very holistic. A secular person only sees a human being as purely physical and emotional. But as a spiritual person in the Bible, we understand that we are physical, emotional, and spiritual. You see, what you see in this psalm is that he was emotionally low and he longed for companionship to be with the worshiping people. He was spiritually low and he thirsted for God like a deer pants for water. And he was physically low and lacking sleep. And when you look in the Bible, you discover a God who's interested not just in the spiritual You see, the secular person will say, oh, you're low, you need to sleep, and you need to have community for your physicalness and your emotions. The spiritual person, the the super spiritual person might say, oh, no, all all you need is God. But when you look at the Bible holistically, it says, you know, physically, you need to look after yourself. And we see Elijah, when he was in a low place, God gave him food, and he put him to sleep when he was low. And then what we see in this psalm is that he longed for community, and that's what the Bible gives us. The Bible acknowledges your emotional lowness. But what you also see in the Bible is that we are a spiritual dimension, and that the answer to that is God. So here's this guy, and he's a believer. Is it possible to be a depressed Christian? 
Notice in this psalm, he hasn't done anything wrong. It's not like there's a point in the psalm where he confesses his sins to God. Because if you're a Christian and you ever, ever to confide in someone, I'm feeling a bit depressed, they might say, hey, have you not confessed your sins? Have you, you know, have you, have you held on to God's promises? Are you claiming the blood of the Lamb? Are you, you know, are you holding a grudge against someone? You know, are you showing gratitude for all the great things he's done in your life? You know, kind of going through the list. To, da, 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 da. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm still feeling low. There's no mention in here that there's some sin issue in this guy's life. He's trying to seek God and he's just low. But what this is doing is this. It's preempting you for the inevitable. The inevitable is that your life will do this. And there will be points when you are low and there will be points where you're in the heights of joy. And that is human existence in a fallen world. Even Jesus Christ experienced that. Now what we find here is actually a preparation, especially for a new believer. If you've recently come to faith and you're so buzzing about God, man, God's amazing, he's incredible. You're on this like honeymoon time with God. Fact, there will come a moment when the honeymoon will come to an end. And I remember that moment, 91, when I committed my life to the Lord, came into this faith experience with God, so excited, buzzing. And then it's like a low hit me. And I thought, where's God gone? Where's God gone? And I'm an emotional kind of guy. Some of you are very emotionally wired, especially for you, especially if you're a new believer. You need to be prepared that a moment will come where a low will come and you will think, God's abandoned me. But don't worry, God's gone nowhere. Just your emotions have changed. And that's okay. You're a human being. Verse 4, it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So he's, in this, he's longing for this place of encounter. He's remembering a worship service. He's remembering that he used to go up with all God's people who used to worship. He's remembering a worship service. Why? Because that for him was the place where God was real. Tommy Tenney at the conference just last weekend asked the question of everyone. I'm going to ask it of you. He, said, he asked, can you remember a time where you actually experienced the presence of God? So let me ask, can you remember a time when you experienced the presence of God? Show of hands. You actually, wow, God was here. Remember that? Raise your hand. Okay. So, thanks. So, most of you, uh, can you remember a time where in that moment can you remember what the preacher spoke on hands up okay what really is the point of preaching okay uh, can you remember the songs that were being sung in that moment well a couple of you but the point being unanimously you remembered his presence you remember that experience of God and I do too I remember and that's just what the psalmist is doing he's saying I remember that moment of encounter. He remembered the moment in the presence of God and, and he yearned for that. He yearned for God. He mourns not that, having that experience currently. And some of you are feeling that. You're feeling a distance has come between you and God and you yearn, yearn for that. But notice he's not just yearning for the presence of God. He's yearning for the presence of God among the people of God. And that's really important for you to understand. The psalmist is so committed to the house of God. He loves the house of God. He loves church. That's our equivalent today. He loves the church of Jesus Christ. He loves it. He loves, there's nothing like being with God in the presence of God's people. 
Nothing like it. And you know, I think we take it for granted in this part of the world. I, I, I just finished Brother Young's book, The Heavenly Man, where he's talking about the persecuted church in China. And what you see in the persecuted church in China was a, is a bunch of people who are so passionate for church that they will risk their life just to be a gathering of believers. Not, not to sit in their homes and worship individually, but to be with other believers. They love that. They absolutely would risk their lives for it. And many have lost their lives for that in China and various other parts of Asia. I, I was speaking at a conference a couple of weeks ago in Perth, and one of the speakers there was from Open Doors, which is Brother Andrew's Trust, where they support persecuted believers in all different parts of the world. And he had just been visiting some places in Pakistan. And he said that when he was there, uh, he, he was in one particular village where they had experienced incredible persecution against the Christians. And many of the Christians' houses were demolished, and their worship place, their church building, had been demolished as well. And he said, you know the thing that struck him was the first thing they rebuilt was the church building. Before building their houses, they wanted to rebuild the church building. Because for them, gathering with God's people was such a priority, because it was the place of encounter. Now, folks, I know church is hard. I lead one, right? It's nuts. It's just nuts. I know it's hard. It's gritty. People get offended. It's a tough place to be. Some people say, oh, can you be a Christian outside of church? Well, technically, yes. But can you live the Christian life outside of church? No. You can technically be a Christian outside of church, but you cannot live the Christian life unless you're in the church. Because one of God's mechanisms to transform you as a person is the church. If you sit in your house and just watch God TV and you have no interaction with other people, you think, this isn't, folks, it's not church. And while you think you may be growing in your knowledge of things, you are not being transformed in your personality, in your character, or in, in your ability to love, or your, in your Christ-likeness. Because God places you in community for that kind of stuff. And sometimes community is rough. It's just sometimes hard, because there's people like you around, and that's rough. You see yourself? Yes, rough. It's really tough. You're such a quiet bunch tonight, folks. That was a joke. I wasn't really criticizing you. Okay, anyway. Um, be in church. And we see this guy longing for God in the presence of God's people. And then he says, and then he's been down and he's low and he's remembering that worship time. And he says in verse 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And he comes out of that lull. He puts his hope again in God. And we'll come back to that theme in a moment, hope in God. He puts his hope again in God and he comes out of that lull. That's the first cycle. And then we go into another dip in his praying time. And this is what might happen in your prayer times. In verse 6, this is the, the tough times. This is the cycle he's going through. He says, why is my soul downcast within me? Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's describing his tough times. He's describing it like waves on a beach, like one wave after another wave after another wave. We were just in holiday in the summer, and the kids loved playing last man standing on the beach. And what you're right in the middle of the breakers, and the breakers come along and boom, try and knock you over, and the last kid standing is the winner. So they, they would play hours of fun in the breakers. And that's kind of what life's like sometimes. One wave hits you, boom, and no sooner have you managed to recover from that wave, another one, boom, 
And that's what the psalmist is saying. It's like you breakers breaking over me. One situation and circumstance after another, just knocking you down. Feel like I'm drowning. You ever felt that? You feel like you're overwhelmed. You just know as soon as you've gotten your feet, you get knocked down again. And that's what we're seeing here. And the man's praying and he's seeking and he's being honest about this. But then he comes to this positive moment. He's, he's in this low point where he's thinking about this. And he comes up in verse 8 and he says, By day the Lord directs his love and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So here he now comes out of the lull. Have you ever sung when you're low? Have you ever had a song in your heart when you're in a low place? This week I had a few challenges this week and I remember in my office just a little bit despairing to be honest and praying saying God I'm just, I start singing I just start singing a song I start singing praise to God it wasn't like a like a One Direction song or anything it was like a just a worship song I started singing the song to God from my lowness I sung to God and God lifted me up this is one of God's mechanisms to help you and God filled this psalmist with a song we see a great example in the New Testament of Paul and Silas. Under, they were spreading the gospel, they were doing good stuff, and then they got arrested. They got arrested for doing good things, for preaching the gospel. In Acts 16, 23, it says, and when they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received those orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the doors of the prison flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. There's a moment where their, their backs are whipped open because of the severe whipping. They'd been serving God, and all they got was a kicking from the authorities. And here they were in a prison for something they'd been doing that was good. And their feet are in stocks. They're in a damp prison. It's probably not well sanitized. It's probably rats around the floor and it stinks. And here they were and it says about midnight they were praising God. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> that's just that's kind of happy kind of nuts. That's just nuts. But that's what God does. And in that moment as they sang that was the mechanism that got them out of that lull. And that's exactly what happened in the psalmist's life as well. I remember when my mum was terminally ill. I remember some nights we, we, just, we didn't know what to do else other than I got my guitar out and me and my mum and dad, we just, in our living room, we just worship God. It's the best thing you can do. The last thing you want to do when you're feeling like that is praise. The last thing you want to do when you're feeling like that is praise with God's people. <laughs> yeah, some of you tonight, it's taken a lot for you just even to come here tonight. I think because the last place I want to be tonight really is among a bunch of people singing praise to God because I just don't feel it. Well, good on you because that's, that's your way out. First Thessalonians 5 verse 18, Paul writes and says, in everything, in fact, you can read it with me. One, two, three. In everything, Give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You're in the middle of a tough time. What's God's will? Well, I don't know at all, but I know a bit of it, and a bit of it is it's God's will for you to give thanks. 
And it doesn't say, for everything, give thanks. Oh, thanks, God, for that real tough time you sent my way and floored me. Praise the Lord, you know. That's not what he's saying. That's weird, right? Why did you even think that? Uh, God isn't the author of the stuff. I mean, it's not saying that God sent the challenges. It's not saying that God is the author of the illness or the challenge or the hardship. You're going to, no, 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 no. But in the situation, not for it, but in the situation, you say, thank you, God. You praise him in the middle of it. And then the third cycle of negativity comes, and this is, he's tormented by words. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Now, the weird thing is, the verse before it, verse 9, he was just saying, by day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. You notice that? He's like, hey. And then the next moment he's saying, why have you forgotten me? He's like, mate, you're all over the place here when you're writing this, Sam. He's just all over the place. But that's what we're like. In our prayer times, we go from a moment where we're saying, wow, you filled my heart with a song. Next moment we're saying, where have you gone, God? Because that's human. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? Why is he saying this? He's saying this because that's how he feels. Have you ever said anything theologically incorrect while you're feeling a bit rough? Yeah, me too. So theologians, sometimes we say things that are theologically incorrect because we're not trying to describe the truth, we're trying to describe how we feel. There's a good example of this in Job. Job went through a lot of stuff. And in Job chapter 6, verse 26, his friends, so-called friends, are there. They're trying to give him advice about they're hearing him saying all his complaints about how he's feeling. And they're trying to correct him for all the things he's saying that are theologically incorrect. And he says this, Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? He's, he's saying to them, listen, I'm just telling you how I'm feeling. It's just wind. It's not solid. And you're correcting me. It's like when, you, when you're with someone who's going through it, and they're saying stuff, and you're like, that's theologically incorrect. Don't tell them that. Right? Don't say, that's theologically incorrect. They know that. It's just wind. The wind will just blow it away. Same with your, maybe you've made statements that are just, you know, I didn't really think that. But that's how you felt. And that's what's going on in the psalm here. Verse 10, it says, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? My bones suffer mortal agony. In the English Standard Version, it translates it as, as with a deadly wounds." You know, words, these words that are going on, these people who are taunting him are like a deadly wounds. These words are coming with such strength and such negative impact. Words. And the words are both coming from outside to the in, but they're also coming inside his soul. They're constant. They're coming. Think about it. Here's this guy. I don't know what circumstance he was going through. I know he was exiled. I know he felt alienated and disconnected from where he wanted to be with God's people worshiping. I know that. We don't know what else was going on in his life. But here's the thing. His circumstance was saying, you're abandoned, you're abandoned, you're abandoned. In his heart, he's saying to himself, you're abandoned, you're abandoned, 
You're abandoned. He's just said a moment ago, he says, why have you forgotten me? He's saying it with his lips about himself. But then there are people around him taunting him saying, where's your God? Everything is saying you're abandoned. And when you're going through stuff in life, you're constantly hearing words. You know you are. You wake up in the morning and those words are there, uninvited, but they're there. They're saying things in your head. You're being tormented with them. And it's coming 10 to a dozen. And it's accusations and words that are not from God, but they're trying to ruin you and pull you down. And if you let them, they will conquer you. And you all know that battle. Every single one of us knows that battle. And that's the reality of the world we're living in. And they're all saying the negative. So how do you deal with this? Well, verse 11 tells us the answer. He turns to his soul and he says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote a famous book, Spiritual Depression, based on the psalm, he said this about this part of the psalm. He said this. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you've been listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? There's a time to listen to yourself. There's a time to think through what's being said. There's a time to consider your situation and give consideration to the thoughts. But then there's a moment where you take your soul by the scruff of the neck and you talk to your soul. And you say, why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. And start speaking truth to your soul. This is a really important mechanism for you folks. You've been spending too much time listening to your soul and not enough time talking to your soul. And this is the big key we see in this psalm. And what does he say? And notice, this is not just the first time he's done this in the psalm, it's the second time now. He said, come on my soul, put your hope in God. Twice he said to do it in the same psalm. And in your prayer time and in a typical day, you might have to do this umpteen times. So we see it right through the psalms, don't we? We see like in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who's he talking to? His soul. Come on, get with the program. We see it constantly. Rise up, my soul. We've got a song that goes that way. Constantly speaking to your soul. So in the morning or in the evening when you come to church gatherings, when you wake up and have your just time with the Lord in the morning, however you do it, and you're low, rise up, my soul. Speak truth to your soul. Don't let it off with just it speaking. You speak to it. You see, and what he says is, put your hope in God. That's what he said in the psalm. Uh, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Hope is fuel. Hope empowers you to go forward. If you've got no hope, no fuel. You will run dry. You will grind to a halt. You need hope. There was a story of a, a, a valley that the authorities had decided that it was, they were going to create a dam in this particular valley. And there was a village in the valley, and the villagers knew that they had a limited period of time to live there before the valley was completely flooded. In the months leading up to the finishing of the dam, an interesting phenomenon took place. People started neglecting their properties, started leaving the rubbish strewn around the place, didn't cut their lawns, didn't maintain their houses, paint was flaking off, and basically the place was just a shambles. One of the owners uh, 
was interviewed just before the dam was constructed about the state of the village. And the resident said this, commenting about the village and the mentality in the village. They said, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. And the truth is, if you do not have a hope, a hope not based in your own hopefulness, but based in a God who's given you hope, if you don't have a hope, then you've got nothing to hope and inspire hope in your soul with other than positive mental attitude. And that's not going to last the stand. That's not going to stand the test. If you've got a hope based on God, hope based on his truth, then you can say to your soul, why are you so downcast? So disturbed within me. Put your hope in God. I love what David said in Psalm 27, verse 13. In fact, you can say it with me. One, two, three. I would have despaired. Am I just doing this myself? Here we are. Is it is the verse there? No, it's not. That's why you didn't know it. Do you not know the verses off the top of your head? Psalm 27. Is it there, Billy? No. All right. That's probably why. Do you want to quickly type? No, don't worry. Okay. David said, let me just read it to you. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, hope is fuel. It gets you through the despair. It gets you through the low point. It gives you something to anchor your soul on. It gives you something to speak to your soul about. So constantly speak hope to your soul. Constantly speak God's truth to your souls. Constantly remind yourself of what God has said and hang on to it like an anchor in your soul. Otherwise, those waves will take you out, and God doesn't want that for you. So let me conclude with where the psalm starts. So that's the emotion through the psalm. But let me come back to the very beginning, the core of it all. He starts the psalm by saying, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Where do you turn when you're depressed, when you're low? This psalm, this guy in the psalm, turns totally to God and he describes a deep passion, a deep longing for God in the middle of a tough time. This is a key for your life. Notice he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He was living in a world and a land where there were many false gods. But he was longing for the living God in a time of despair. Where do you turn when you're in a time of despair? Many people turn to false gods. How do you get your relief in a time of despair? Many people turn to things that they regret in times of despair, in low moments. That's when people end up in addictions and end up with habits and darkness in their souls. Would you turn? This guy turned to the living God. You know, we all turn somewhere. Jesus had an encounter with a woman at the well of Samaria. And in that interaction, he was there at the well. The woman asked um, for, he, he asked the woman for a drink. And then he had this interaction with this woman. 
It says in John 4, verse 13, Jesus answered the woman and said, anyone who drinks this water, pointing at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to get water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. It's like weird. Well, if you're talking about water one minute, then you say, go call your husband. Where's the correlation? He told uh, and he, she, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husbands. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband's. And you think, what has that got to do with water? But it's got everything to do with it. Because what he was trying to do with this woman, he was trying to point out to her, you're looking for satisfaction in many areas, lady. God wants you to have ultimate satisfaction, eternal satisfaction, satisfaction that comes from connecting with God. And lady, you're looking for satisfaction, you're just looking for it in the wrong places. And that's what Jesus was trying to put across. And it's the same message he puts across to us tonight. Where do you find your satisfaction in life? What is the source of your satisfaction in tough times? The psalmist was saying, it's God. It's so much God. In this long, tough time, I'm in exile. The wakers are breaking over me. I thirst for God like a deer pants for water. I'm desperate for God. That's your solution. Church, as a church, that's our solution. We want to be a God-centered, God-saturated people. But you say, well, Peter, I can't just fake that. I don't feel that. I don't feel that sense of passion for God. What you're asking me to do is unnatural. I can't just muster it up. The truth is, I'm not asking you to do something that's unnatural. I'm asking you to do something that is so completely in your nature. You are wired to thirst after God in whose image you've been created. You are wired that way. It's just that we've spent all our thirsts on the other stuff that we've become numb to God's. But the truth is, this is the most natural thing for a human being to thirst after God, their creator. Why is it that, oh, Pascal, the French mathematician, said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart. Why is it that ever since time began, human beings have worshipped? Why is it that only 2.5% of the world's population would call themselves atheists? 12.5% are unreligious, but 85% of the 7 billion people on planet Earth would call themselves in some form or another religious. Why? Because it's the most natural thing for you to have a hunger for God, even though some people are finding it in the wrong places. This is not unnatural. This is what you're born for. Adjust your passions, align your life, and thirst and hunger after God the way you were created to thirst and hunger after him. How is it that God satisfies? God satisfies because he is unimprovable. You, no one can compare to him. You see, you could buy your Porsche 911, Pete. Now you're a doctor and you get all this you know huge cash flow and you're going to have this Porsche 911 this is your dream so one day you get your Porsche 911 and you turn up at the lights and then up beside you pulls up a Ferrari and you were really chuffed with your Porsche 911 you'd long for this car for a long time and you've been really chuffed with it. you're really satisfied with it then you pull up at the lights and you look at the guy in the Ferrari and you think 
I'm no longer as satisfied as I was because there's something better. So our dissatisfaction in life is often that way, whether it be with marriage, you marry someone, you, and then after a while, you think, oh, there's someone better. Or you, you have a job, and you think, oh, there's another one better. And it's fickle, and it's stupid, but that's what human beings are like. But here's why God will satisfy, because he is unimprovable. There is no one to whom you can compare him. He is absolutely, indescribably good. He is beyond your, your whatever, your thing. Totally. I mean, he's just nuts. He's out there. He's incredible. You know, like, I, I, like, I like collecting watches. And every so often, I'll, I'll do a, a trade with someone, to swap a watch. And you kind of walk in along, look at your watch. Oh, nice watch. You go, wow. Every day, you're looking, wow, cool watch. But after a month, you're kind of used to it, and it doesn't, you don't say, wow, anymore. But why is it in heaven, when you look at the descriptions in the book of Revelation, it's just an eternal wow? for eternity. Why is that? Because you're facing someone who is so unimprovable, someone who's so incredible. The novelty factor will never run dry for eternity. It's not going to be a chore to worship for eternity, folks. If you think it is, you really haven't understood him. We're talking about the unimprovable one. We're talking about one who is beyond comparison. That's why he alone can satisfy. He's the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings and thirsts of your life because there is no one who can compare to God. I guess the weird thing is, so what do you do in the tough seasons? The weird thing in the psalm is this, he doesn't pray for relief. You notice that? He doesn't pray God change the circumstance. And I have no problem with praying God change the circumstance, but in this psalm he doesn't. What does he say? His prayer is, I want you. So here's the big application. When things are bad, pursue God. When things are good, pursue God. Be in pursuit of God every day of your life. And pursue him like you're a deer panting for water, desperately. There was a story of a a young man, he approached an old wise man in India and he said, how do I find God? And the old wise man in India said, come with me to the river. And he took him to the river and he went into the river with the young man and they went right up to their necks. And when they were in the middle of the river, the old man shoved the young man underwater and held him there and held him there for a good long time. And the guy started flail and struggle and, and cough and splutter. And eventually he pulled him up and they went to the shore and the guy was coughing up water and everything and he nearly died. He said, I didn't... I didn't learn anything about God there. And he said, how did you feel when you were underwater? What were you desperate for? And he said, I was desperate for air. And the old man said, when you want God as much as you wanted air, you'll find him. Because we know we need air. We know we need food. We know we need drink. But did you know you need God? And he is indescribably good. So fill your horizons with him. Why is God so hidden? Why if, why if we're born for him, why doesn't he just give himself, like, just reveal yourself then, God. Why this searching? Why this quest? It says in Isaiah 45, verse 15, 
truly you are a God who hides himself, O God, our Savior. Why would God do it that way, that we had to seek him out? But the truth is, God in his wisdom does it this way, because you and I know that the important things in our life weren't handed to you in a plate. Diamonds have to be mines. A purpose has to be figured out. Love, you've got to work for that. Everything you value in life that is expensive and important to you was not handed to you in a plate. It says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. Does God conceal himself because he doesn't want to be found by anyone? Or is it that God understands that this is how we'll really find him? The truth is, the things that have motivated me most in life are not the things that were handed to me in a plate. You know, if you teach your kids something, you just tell them the answers. But if you help them to discover the answers themselves, you know they'll run with that truth. The things I have discovered are the things that motivate me and move me and cause me to run more than the things that were given to me on a plate. And it's the same in your life. And God knows that, and God in his wisdom has done it this way. So why does God do it this way? He does it this way so that only the genuine find him. He says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So people of God, search for God with all your heart. Church, we're going to search for God with all our heart. Pray. Let's seek God in our prayer times. Let's seek God in our small groups. Be in a small group environment. Don't just come on a Sunday. Be in a small group environment. Pray with people. Seek God. Seek his face. As we come to the psalm, let me just end with just a perspective on the psalm. Hundreds of years after the psalm was written, Jesus Christ entered into this world. God took on flesh. And when you understand and read this psalm through the filter of Jesus Christ, it gives you a perspective that's radical. You see, Jesus in Mark 14 34 said this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Many of the great Bible heroes understood sorrow and lowness. So did Jesus Christ. And Jesus here on the night that he was betrayed in Garden of Gethsemane says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrows. And as he went into that moment, we see the cross unfolding over the next few hours. And on the cross, he says, I thirst. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sounds like the psalmist saying, where is your God? In the cross, we see his enemies taunting Jesus and saying, where is your God? Just like they taunted the psalmist. But the truth is, the psalmist, God hadn't gone anywhere. But with Jesus as he was dying on the cross, for one moment in all eternity, the eternal son was separated from the eternal father as he took your sin and my sin upon himself. As he died in our place and took the punishment we deserve for our sins. He did that so that you could be assured that God will never abandon you. He was separated so you could be eternally united. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he 
bore our pain and took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. So everything that Jesus did in that cross, the separation, that anxiety in his soul, that physical agony he went through was to take your sin and my sin away and to make you righteous in the sight of God. He took your sin, he gives you his righteousness. He took your hell, he gives you his heaven. He took your alienation and your separation from God and he makes it so that you and him are connected inseparably for all eternity as you put your faith in the one who died for you and rose again. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, that you're a God who gives us the book of Psalms. Thank you, God, for each psalm which describes the reality of human emotion. I want to thank you for this psalm that you've chosen to put in the Bible, which shows how a person who's going through a a real rough time in a low place in life, and it shows how that person makes the most important thing the most important thing. He seeks God. God, I pray for everyone in this room, God. Some people in this room are currently going through a low time. And I want to thank you, God, that this Sam's encouragement to them is to seek for God just like a deer pants for the water. Seek God. Just take a moment before God just to respond to him. It might be that something that we've shared from the Bible tonight just speaks right into your life and situation. Why don't you just take this moment in his presence just to respond, to pray back your response. While people are doing that, it might be tonight that someone's here, one or two of you are here, who you don't know God you haven't entered into that relationship and experience of God. You've never committed yourself to God. Well, why not tonight, in his presence, why not tonight just come to him, make that decision. Yield your heart to him. I'm going to help you do that real simple. I'm just going to pray a prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just one line at a time. If you're here tonight, you're saying, Peter, I want to commit my life to God then just you repeat this prayer after me just under your breath this is between you and God pray dear Lord God thank you for your love for me Jesus thank you that on the cross you died in my place you took my sin upon you you died so I could be forgiven you died so I could have eternal life And tonight I put my whole faith in you. I believe you're alive, risen from the dead. And I commit my life and my future into your hands. God, be number one in my life. Jesus, be Lord of my life. 
Thanks for hearing my prayer. Amen.